Welcome to Pullback. This is Editing Kyla here, popping in from the future to welcome you to the second part of our vegetarianism two-parter. Trying to be a good person can be overwhelming in our complex global marketplace. In this podcast, we try to make it a little easier by looking at the details behind consumer movements, product labels, and ethical lifestyles. Each episode, we challenge ourselves to try something new in ethical consumption. Then we tell you what we learned, fuck-ups and all. If you didn't catch our first half of this episode, I recommend checking that out first. It's in our feed and we released it two days before this episode. So we're going to jump right in here in the middle of our episode that ended up being a little long. Kristen's going to tell us a little bit about the environment. Uh, So I'll just start by saying that the scale of animal agriculture is part of what makes it an environmental problem. So approximately 70 billion animals are raised annually for human consumption, which if you think about it like that, that is way more animals than it is people. So yeah, <laughs> it's, a lot, it's a lot of animals. I mean, yeah. And you know, even though you know, you've, you've noticed that like, especially in Canada, the statistics for vegetarianism are slowly rising and probably flexitarianism, even though there's no metric for it, that's probably sky, like it must have skyrocketed, especially in the last uh, decade. But as, as other countries develop, the demand is rising because it's like a way to show off your wealth to, to eat these things. And so it's only a problem that, potentially could get worse because I feel like that is growing at a rate that is faster than the rate at which people are becoming vegetarian. But I don't know. This is just, this is me anecdotally speaking. I don't actually have the numbers to back this up. Maybe you tell me that I'm wrong. I don't know. No, it it is a growing industry. I actually had a stat for it. And then I was like, no, I won't say that. So I'm sorry. But uh... no, I feel validated. Thank you. But no, and it's not just, it's important to note that it's not just like developing countries. It's also a trend that is happening slash has happened in Europe and North America as well. If meat production has peaked here, uh, which I'm not sure that it even has, it was very recent. Uh, so meat consumption, even if there's maybe a trend in the market towards people being more vegetarian, flexitarian, also at the same time, the people that aren't are eating more meat than they used to and more fish than they used to. Yeah, so. everybody thinks that they have to have a certain amount of meat at every meal. And from the reading that I've done, that's just not true. You don't need to be eating that sort of amount of meat. Personally, I only eat meat usually like max a couple of times a week and I'm fine, you know? So, but I, I don't know. My my dietary and health requirements are obviously going to be different than other people. So I don't, I'm not a doctor. Please don't at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and a uh, fun fact for people that either aren't Canadian or don't read the news as much as I'm, I'm a huge news junkie, the Canada Food Guide, the new one, it explicitly didn't include meat as a, as a food group. And it was seen as a huge triumph of expertise uh, over lobbying interests. So good job, Canadian government, and fuck you, Andrew Shear, for criticizing them for it. Like, oh my god! Just because your Let's, kids yeah. like to eat chocolate milk doesn't mean that that's healthy. What are you doing? <laughs> oh my goodness! Andrew Shear was like, "There should be meat in the food guide because my children drank chocolate milk and now they're fine." And it's like, wait, what? That's none of first this of all, makes false sense. Equivalency. <laughs> Also, chocolate milk isn't meat. <laughs> also, he was drinking milk out of a beer glass. Why? 
Okay, that that I do find charming. <laughs> That's endearing. Uh, now I wish I had voted differently. Kyla. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Breezing past that. Lots of animals are raised annually for human consumption. About 10 times as many people as there are on Earth. Um, and from an environmental perspective, animal, animal agriculture is less efficient than plant-based agriculture simply because we also need to feed animals when we raise them. There are some other animal-specific environmental concerns, but mainly when you're wondering, well, okay, why is animal agriculture worse? It's because you have to then do a whole other cycle, right? If you're just growing soy for human consumption, you have to deal with the environmental impact of soy. If you're looking at cows, you also have to deal with the soy feed that they have, right? We touched on the soy thing briefly in the in the milk episode that we did as well, that basically like... If you think the Amazon is burning because of vegetarians having soy products, you are mistaken. It's because cows are eating soy products. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, just keep that in mind that it's um, you have to move up a food chain. So you have to feed animals plant feed that also takes energy and land and stuff to grow. So there was a really cool study that I found um, it was by Clark, Springman, Hill, and Tillman. And they looked at the multiple health and environmental impacts of food. So basically, it was a super cool study. People should check it out. Um, but they were looking at five health metrics. So mortality, coronary heart disease, colorectal cancer, diabetes, and stroke. And they were saying, okay, based on conglomerating those, um, what are the healthy foods? Um, and then they compared it against five environmental metrics. So um, these are actually mostly... We're going to use four of the five when we're discussing environment, so they're relevant for sure. So acidification potential, eutrophication potential, that's, if you guys remember from the alternate milks episode, that's about algal blooms, right? Greenhouse gas emissions, land use, and water use. Um, and the study essentially finds that unprocessed and processed red meat is the worst for both. Not healthy, not good for the environment. Animal products like chicken, fish, and dairy are healthier, but they're not good for the environment. Um, and plant-based foods like nuts, legumes, vegetables, and grains are healthier and better for the environment. That's generally what they find. They have these cool maps that show you um, all the different metrics. So you can see like a wide circle for meat because they're bad on everything. And then like mostly <laughs> narrow circles for the vegetables. But like in some cases, like for nuts, because we talked about this already, they use a little bit more water. Um, so that one spikes out a little bit on the water metric, but then on other ones, it's sort of closer in. Cool. We'll link to that for sure. I want to see these maps. Yeah. For people that are nerds, you'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> the hashtag everybody listening to this podcast. Okay. So let's talk about the different environmental metrics. So we'll talk about land use, greenhouse gas emissions, water footprint, air pollution, and eutrophication. So land use. Animal agriculture uses up a lot of land. So approximately 26% of Earth's ice-free land is used for li livestock grazing. Um, and beyond that, 33% of croplands are used for livestock feed production. So, Ugh, that's so it's a huge amount of the planet. Like at least a third of the planet is being used for animal agriculture, um, if you're including croplands. So it's pretty huge. Um, and we've talked about land use on the podcast before, um, but essentially you want land use to be as efficient as possible because we have a finite amount of space on the planet. So the more space that we put towards agriculture or animal agriculture, the less we have for carbon sinks like forests and wetlands 
And we have to take care of this stuff because you can't grow you can't grow plants on Mars. Sorry, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Like <laughs> we have to take care of the planet we have. <laughs> there is no planet B, as climate activists like to say. Um, so Climate Nexus estimates that replacing beef with plants in your diet reduces the land footprint of that food by 90%. So that is a pretty huge gain that you get if you decide to eat plants instead of beef, which I think beef may be the most space intensive, but really all sort of animal agricultures can be more space intensive than eating plants. So you can get a huge gain on land use if you're not eating meat. What about greenhouse gas emissions? So animal agriculture is a major contributor to climate change. It's responsible for an estimated 18% of human-caused emissions. So that is a pretty huge chunk if we're looking at ways that we can address the climate crisis. Animal agriculture is sort of one of those big targets that we could look at. Um, and in particular, animal agriculture is responsible for some of the more harmful greenhouse gases. So Often when we're talking about greenhouse gases, we're talking about CO2, um, carbon dioxide, but animal agriculture produces some of the more harmful ones. So um, it's responsible for 44% of methane emissions and 44% of nitrous oxide emissions. So Is it because the cows are farting so much or what? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'll go into the causes a little more, but yeah, basically. <laughs> so... <laughs> Why are emissions higher for animal agriculture? Um, so first, uh, greenhouse gas emissions in animal agriculture are from methane released from digestive processes. So Cow farting, farts. burping. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and also in animal manure. So when they shit. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case anyone didn't know what manure was. <laughs> I love that we put the little E on our podcast. You know, uh, I, I had some feedback from a friend who was like, hey, if you guys swore less, then maybe you wouldn't alienate people who would love your podcast, like my mom. And I was like, come on, your mom's going to love it, even though we're swearing. Don't don't even. Your mom is sweet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like we had this discussion of whether to swear in the podcast or not, and I have been liberally saying the F word. Uh, I'll just <laughs> say it again. Fuck. <laughs> We, we put it in our descriptor just to, so that people know what they're getting into. But it's because some of the stuff we're talking about is so fucked up that there's just no other way to describe it, you know? Yeah. I also feel like it just, um, it's cathartic, you know? Oh, God. And we need that when we're talking about... We're, we're learning about bad stuff. I want to yeah. say fuck. Fuck this. <laughs> fuck that. Fuck everything. Burn it down. <laughs> but also, maybe we won't burn it down because that would affect carbon emissions so i'll find convert it into a wetland that should be the new burn it down. <laughs> <laughs> i'll slot that on a t-shirt <laughs> excellent um okay so yeah the first one is like cow cow farts and burps but in addition to that when land is converted to animal agriculture which often means tree uh clearing trees that res results in a loss of stored carbon so you have to take that um greenhouse gas effect into uh, consideration um and then Fossil fuels are also used to produce um, mineral fertilizers for feed production, which also have other environmental harms. So, hooray! Climate Nexus, the same group that I'd referenced before, estimates that replacing beef with plants in your diet reduces the greenhouse gas emissions by 96%. So Whoa! You can make a huge impact by just eating more plants and eating less meat. 
What about water footprint, though? <laughs> We've talked about water footprints on the podcast, uh, but a reminder, um, most of our water footprint comes from the indirect water usage that it takes to make our food. So it's not us flushing toilets, it's us eating stuff that used a lot of water to be made. And generally speaking, meat is a lot more water intensive than plant-based foods. So per calorie, beef is 10 times more water intensive than vegetables, and it is three times as water intensive as nuts. Just a note that nuts are the most water intensive category of plant-based foods. So the fact that beef is still three times more water intensive is pretty significant, I would say. Um, chicken is actually slightly less water intensive to produce than nuts per calorie, but the difference is fairly minor. And there are, are a number of other environmental harms that I think would outweigh this very small difference. Okay, so that's water footprint on water footprint. Chickens maybe not so terrible, but other meats are. And actually, they didn't have fish in that metric, um, I think, because unless you're using aquaculture, I, I don't know, it must be harder to measure or something, but I don't know the answer on how water intensive fish is to produce. Okay, so air pollution, that's another one. One that you might not think of as being associated with animal agriculture. Um, but animal agriculture is really bad for the air and it is making us sick. So it's not great. Um, in addition to releasing those greenhouse gases that I mentioned before, animal agriculture produces a lot of particulate matter. And uh, ambient air pollution is responsible for about 8% of all deaths annually. So Particulate matter is one of the main causes of ambient air pollution, so it, it is killing a lot of people. Um, and you might think, particulate matter, what the hell is that? And also it sounds like it might be caused by cars, which is true. Um, so particulate matter is basically just like stuff in the air that gets into our lungs, and a lot of it is caused by cars. So when you're, when you're looking at a smoggy city, so when you see a picture of like Delhi and it's just hazy, it's because it's like tiny little particles of dust and soot and other pollutants that if you're not wearing a mask will just go right into your lungs and then when you're wearing a mask and you take it off at the end of the day and you look at it it's just revolting <laughs> yeah and depending on how small the particulate matter is masks um they're not going to catch a lot of it too so there's really no way to win um, but yeah, a lot of it is caused by cars, but depending on where you are, the leading source may be agriculture, actually, rather than cars. So basically what happens is um, there's all kinds of stuff on farms, so dry manure, feathers, bits of feed, animal dander. When those break down, they are released into the air and they're like sort of carried for kilometers and kilometers or miles and miles, depending on where you are. <laughs> and uh, that, that gets into our, our air that we breathe. So if you're in like the middle of a city with a lot of traffic, probably, yeah, it's cars more than agriculture. But if you're in a suburb that's near farms, probably agriculture is the top cause of particulate matter. So... You're being polluted by cars, yeah, but also by, you know, chicken shit, basically. Mm, yum, yum, yum. <laughs> Everyone's going to be really hungry after this episode. <laughs> oh, God. I don't know if I'll ever eat again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last environmental metric is eutrophication. We mentioned this on the Alternative Milks episode as well. But essentially, animal agriculture pollutes our waterways, leading to eutrophication, which is those algal blooms. Um, there are a few different sources of eutrophication in animal agriculture. So one is that the nitrogen fertilizer that's used for crop feed, um, it runs off and leaches. So that's also the case for 
plant crops. But again, because so much of our crops are used for feed, it is a particular problem for animal agriculture. Uh, there's also the runoff and leaching that happens from manure. So shit is getting into the waterways and it is messing our ecosystems up. Um, and then aquaculture is another really sort of rising cause of eutrophication because um, essentially um, they generate large amounts of nitrogen and phosphorus from the excrement, uneaten food and like dead fishies that end up or like, I don't know if fish have dander, but like dead organic tissue from from fish. Can you remind me why algal blooms are bad again? It just sounds like, oh, a little bit more algae, whatever, right? Yeah, so they, they'll often lead to like the deoxygenation of a waterway. So in addition to polluting our fresh water, this creates um, something called ocean dead zones, uh, which is as bad as it sounds. Uh, so basically, the runoff of nitrogen and phosphorus creates low oxygen areas or no oxygen areas that affect fish reproduction or can even kill fish. There are more than 400 ocean dead zones worldwide, and the size of ocean dead zones has quadrupled since 1950. Most dead zones are on coasts because they are connected to agriculture. So they're bad because they like run like roughshod over ecosystems, um, and also because they can contribute to ocean acidification, which is another way that ocean ecosystems can die. So it is not good. <laughs> I have a fun fact about algae uh, to lighten the mood a little bit. I have a bunch of bear facts that I bust out when I'm traveling or talking to people who maybe aren't from Canada because people love bears, obviously. <laughs> who doesn't love bears? And I found out recently that polar bears have hollow fur. So their fur is actually clear, it's not white. And the way that the sun hits it and refracts inside the hollow stem of the fur makes them appear white, which is how they can blend in on snow and stuff like that. And when you have polar bears in captivity, if they're in a warmer climate and their ponds have algae in them, then the algae will seep into their hollow fur and turn polar bears green. That is a fun fact. Yeah, so you might get a green polar bear. I mean, it's a bit of a depressing fun fact because it's about polar bears in captivity who are turning green, but also green polar bears, come on. Yes, both of those things are true. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll just end by saying on environmental grounds, it's pretty clear that it is better to eat less meat or to eat no meat um, on basically all of the metrics. Um, if you are interested in moving toward a plant-based diet for environmental reasons, there's a book that's a really helpful starter. It's called Food is the Solution, um, and it's by Matthew Prescott. If you've been vegetarian for a while, I would not recommend getting this book, but if you are looking to be vegetarian or looking to be flexitarian, it's got a lot of good recipes for people that are sort of you're like, well, what does it even really mean to be vegetarian and what can I eat? They're really accessible recipes that sort of will give you the basics. So you've got a few things that you can put together easily that will give you sort of a balanced diet. For anybody who is worried that uh, they might not get enough protein, they might not get enough iron, uh, there's so many plant-based foods that are full of those nutrients, just absolutely chock-a-full, and they're healthier in a lot of cases. And you just, it does take a little bit more uh, thinking ahead before you're planning your meals and stuff like that, but it definitely can be done. Uh, there's, and that's, that's why, also, like, that's only until a habit forms. After that, it's like, if you didn't grow up assuming that you structured meals around protein, you would have had to figure out how to get protein anyway, right? 
Like, I just know I put, like, nuts or beans or legumes or something in in each meal, and then I have enough protein, and it's not that hard. Yeah, and Kristen, with her B12 deficiency, can just grab some B12-fortified, you know, almond milk. Maybe not almond. Oat milk. <laughs> Listen to our milks episode to learn which milk is the best. Spoiler, it's oat. But you can grab fortified stuff, stuff that has those vitamins built into it, so... If you are struggling, uh, there are some cheats and ways around it. Okay, should we talk about our challenges since it's been an hour already? Yes, let's. So as I've mentioned, uh, I've been a vegetarian for some time. I still do eat eggs and dairy, but I'm trying to move away from it. So I usually don't have them at home. But it made it kind of hard for me to figure out what my challenge would be for this week because we are planning to do Veganuary. So I didn't want to do that one too early. Uh, So what I tried to do was focus on an area of vegetarianism where I know that I've kind of fucked up in the past, um, and that's vegan alcohol. I know I don't check as much as I should. Sometimes I will buy that bottle of French Red that I haven't looked into at all, knowing for sure that it's been clarified with an animal product. Um, And I want to stop doing that. (laughs) This is is wild because... I had no idea that it's the same with the Coca-Cola thing. Things that literally it's just like sour grapes that have been left to sit for a while somehow isn't vegetarian. How? (laughs) Yeah. So there are two basic ways that you could have a non-vegan wine. So the first way doesn't really matter so much to vegetarians. Um, So that would be if dairy or honey is used. So Oftentimes, if there's a beer that is like a chocolate stout and it is not vegan, that could be because, I mean, it could be the clarifying agent that's possible, but it could be just because they've used some dairy to give you that like creaminess that they want. Totally possible. Wait, what's a clarifying agent? I forget. Yeah, sorry, that's what I was going to say next. Um, oh, <laughs> sorry. So the second way is uh, is through the filtration process. So in order to sort of like clarify or get rid of some of the silt so that you've got a smoother looking and tasting alcohol. Um, They use a clarifying agent. um, And there are lots of non-animal types of clarifying agents available, but a lot of times people will default to the sort of more traditional ones. So those can have something called isinglass, um, which is made from fish bladder. It can have gelatin in it. It can have egg whites or seashells. And so those are all animal products. So if you're looking for vegan wine or beer or whatever other alcohol, if you find it, that it just means that you haven't used an animal-based clarifying agent. Um, and I think it's just easier to, to look for vegan wines than it is for vegetarian because there's not a lot out there on vegetarian wines. And frankly, if you're making the effort, you may as well just, you know, get that vegan wine anyway. Um, so that's what I decided to do anyway. So I I thought, okay, I will go to the LCBO, which is Ontario's government liquor store, and I'm going to find a vegan wine, and I'm going to pour myself a glass of that vegan wine, and it's going to be a great evening. Um, (laughs) Because Kristen's going to base most of her challenges on alcohol because she is a lush. (laughs) (laughs) Not untrue. Uh, So anyway... (laughs) I found this article that a vegetarian society had come up with that listed vegan wines. And so I was like, perfect. I'll start with this because 
There is a website, which is what I ended up using, um, but I find it really overwhelming because unless you know what you want, it's really hard because they just have everything. They have like 47,000 entries. It's a lot. Um, so I thought I'll just start with this WordPress entry that some vegan has come up with and it'll be right. I went to the LCBO and of the top five wines that they had offered there, um, three were available at the liquor store that I was at. I looked them each up and I found out only one of the three was actually vegan, that the other two were not. So I went with it. So the, the one that I went with was a Baco Noir um, from Sandbanks, which I think is, yeah, it's an Ontario-based wine. So I'm also buying local. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and brag much. <laughs> I did not intend to. The other two options were Californian and Argentinian, but neither of them ended up being vegan. So I just went with the one that was. The way that I found out whether they were vegan or not was going to a website that's actually based out of Toronto, I found out today when I was researching it, and it's called Barnivore Vegan Alcohol Directory, so it's at barnivore.com, um, and it's a really cool website. They're, they say that they're planning to make a mobile app for it, but that one hasn't been officially set up yet, um, and essentially you just you go to the website and you type in the name of whatever alcohol you're looking at getting it will tell you, is it vegan or not? And it'll sort of give you the history of, they basically contact companies and ask them, um, is your product vegan? And if it is vegan, they put it with like a little green square. If it's not, they put it with a red square. So it's, it's a pretty easy visual way, but you have to know what you're looking at getting first. So I will say, after I had picked the wine that I wanted, I thought, okay, let's just go test out some of my favorite beers as well. And uh, most of the ones that I would drink are vegan, actually. So I'm not sure how well this will play for people outside of Ontario, because a lot of the beer that I drink is Ontario-based, because we have a government liquor store that it sells a lot of good Ontario craft beer. But like, I... Collective Arts is a very big brand, and it's vegan. And there, there are lots of really good vegan beer options. I think it's just less common to use the, the clarifying agents that are animal-based. So I don't think that companies are trying to be vegan. I just think they naturally kind of are. Whereas with wine... Just a happy accident. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With wine, there's there seems to be a tradition of having used animal-based ones. So especially if you're looking at like red wines from France... It's like really, it can be really hard. I'm sure there are brands if you really look for them, but are they the brands that are in my Canadian liquor store? Not necessarily. Um, whereas there's a fair number of Ontario ones I found. So anyway, that was my, that was my liquor store experience. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's cool. It's you, I, I mean, I know you didn't think it was a super interesting challenge, but it was more difficult than you expected. And also I, I didn't know wine had animals in it. Like you saw my texts when you told me, I was like, everything is broken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This vegetarian thing was so much more difficult than I thought, even just for the two weeks. I mean, I failed a couple of times. Uh, I failed on the first day because I forgot that tuna wasn't a vegetable. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and tuna's, tuna's oh, no. the worst fish too. So not only did I like... Did I accidentally eat meat? But I also ate like the worst <laughs> kind of meat in that category. <laughs> and we'll get into that when we go into the fish farming. But yeah, tuna is not a great thing uh, for me to have accidentally eaten. 
Uh, and then like the next day, uh, I was on, so basically my, my, my new job that I've been doing is I'm a tour guide to, uh, the Rocky Mountains and, uh, Vancouver area. The chaperone that I was sitting next to offered me a pepperoni stick and I was like, no, I'm vegetarian right now, so I can't have it. And she's like, oh, I understand. And then she handed a pepperoni stick to the driver, to the two people next to me and to the two people behind me, which means that on all four sides, I had, I could like smell pepperoni stick. And then she offered it to me again and I was weak. <laughs> and I was like, yes, please. <laughs> I know. Wow. <laughs> Person was really not helping you out there. <laughs> oh, she was so nice. And I, yeah. And then um, I also, like, on the third day, I ordered Eggs Benedict, uh, but I was exhausted and, like, delirious from staying up and kicking doors in for kids who were breaking curfew at, like, 2 a.m. And uh, I forgot that Eggs Benedict normally comes with ham, <laughs> because of course it does. Uh, normally when I order Eggs Benedict, I order the vegetarian version anyways. So it was like a double kick in the stomach when it came out and I was like, oh no. And of course, it's almost worse to throw the meat away if it's already there. Do you know what I mean? Like, because then the animal died for nothing. So I ate that. <laughs> I was really annoyed at myself. That was the first three days. The rest of the two weeks was actually fine. Um... I did text you uh, the other day. I was fly. I, I was on another tour, and I was <laughs> I was flying home, and my period was three days late, and it just kicked me in the uterus as I was on the airplane, <laughs> and it kicked in, and it was because it was late. It was extra extra tough and I landed and I was I texted Kristen I was like girl I need a cheeseburger like right now or I'm gonna flip <laughs> a table over <laughs> and, and I didn't it was good I went and got some vegetarian so junk food I know I was I, I wanted it so I was like gosh I could really I could really use a cheeseburger right now I'm tired I'm crampy I'm low on iron because I'm losing blood <laughs> like <laughs> mm -hmm. But it was fine. I didn't do it. And now I feel really good about myself for not doing it because this whole conversation would feel so much worse for me if I know that secretly I had had a McDonald's cheeseburger the other day because, oh, that's my junk food of choice, too. And McDonald's is evil for so many other reasons beyond factory <laughs> farming. So it's like a like a double hit and a triple hit if I get a Coke with the with the meal. And it's like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, this was uh, this was a tough challenge. But the first week was the hardest until like, yeah, the day before yesterday when I was flying home and I really wanted that cheeseburger. But other than that, I actually found it pretty easy. And then last night I went out and I bought a bunch of fresh vegetables and made a really good vegan stir fry uh, while I was hecka stoned. So that, that was actually lovely. <laughs> so that was my challenge. I feel pretty good about it. I wish that I had been able to do something else because that would mean that this challenge was as easy as I had thought it would be. Now I'm really, I don't know, Veganuary I thought was going to be a piece of cake, but now I'm not so sure. Because even while I was doing this, I think I ate a couple of things with cheese and cheese I found out recently isn't vegetarian really because... And I don't know, again, I mentioned this earlier in the in, in the episode, but there's this thing called rennet or rennet. I can't remember how to pronounce it because I'm a hack. But basically, in order to I can't even describe it. Do you know can do you know how to describe rennet? No. <laughs> I do know that it is not vegetarian though. And it's in pretty much every cheese. I'll include a link to this 
issue because it's, I think, a little bit more complicated than I can explain because even I have trouble understanding it. But basically, they're using enzymes from the stomach lining of animals to help make cheese. And these animals are killed in the process. And it's really horrific. I'll, I'll include a link. But basically, if you're eating cheese and it's got um, animal rennet in it, then it's not vegetarian. So I think in that regard, I probably failed as well, because I'm sure that I had cheese a couple of times during this uh, challenge. No, and like, I'm definitely guilty of um, eating like a pizza out and not asking questions. So... It's tricky. I think that's an area where a lot of vegetarians fail. Yeah, and it's just and it's because it's because you don't know. I didn't know this cheese thing until I I don't know, I was looking up something else a couple of months ago and this came up and I was like, "Oh no." I mean, like cheese isn't already evil enough when you think about how it's made, but also it's not even vegetarian because the animals are killed, but I don't know if it's better or worse to be trapped in a factory farm being milked you know, or just to be dead. Like, it's, ah, this is so depressing. Um, Yeah, totally. It's complicated. (laughs) I am excited to do the vegan challenge. Yeah, I'm hoping it actually makes me vegan. Yeah, I don't, I don't expect that I'll ever be fully vegetarian or or fully vegan. That's kind of the lesson that I'm taking away. This two-week stretch has been really good for me, though, I think, for making me realize just, first of all, how much I was eating. And, for making me think about it a lot more. I think that I'm going to make better choices uh, in moving forward. I'm going to try and keep the vegetarian thing going. But I probably um, am going to try and still buy fish because uh, I do really like to eat fish, uh, especially for my own like health and stuff like that. I just am a big fish person, but I'm going to try and get it from local farmers, especially since, uh, or a f- local fishermen, especially since like I live in Vancouver there, I have no excuse. <laughs> I, I can definitely find local fish. So that I think I'm going to, to keep going with, I don't know, maybe the fish farming episode will change me. I'm going to try and have less dairy, um, slash no dairy, uh, if I can, but There is an argument to be made for the term that I found, and I'll link to this article, uh, ethical omnivore. So if if the meat you're buying is ethically sourced, if you're buying local, if you're buying from local fishermen, from maybe people who are, I don't even know, getting wild game if you can, but... Even our veg- vegetarian options can be really unethical. Um, this article that I'm going to link to basically says that demand for quinoa, for example, has led to overproduction and unstable crop prices for Peruvian farmers, and avocados are associated with drug cartels and deforestation in Mexico. And so it's just, it's not, it's not that being vegetarian is the be all and end all ethical choice, you have to think about every aspect of what you're buying, because it's all broken. And I mean, this is partially what the whole podcast is about, right? Is that your answers on what is ethical for you? I mean, partially has to do with your circumstances, but partially has to do with what values are most important to you. So if you're somebody that cares most about labor rights or the environment, you're going to come down with different answers than if animal welfare is the most important thing to you, right? Those are going to lead you to different answers and and that's okay. That's fine. 
It'll be really interesting to see how my diet in particular develops because I've come into this as the as the flexitarian and <laughs> and you've come in as the you know ethical vegetarian and uh, not ethical. I'm ovo lacto, so I'm not really <laughs> doing my job. Uh, <laughs> so I think it'll be really interesting to see how even we develop as we learn more about this stuff. Yeah. So my call to action is to look at an app called Less. You can get it certainly from the Apple App Store. I'm not sure about Androids, Um, but it's kind of neat. Basically, the idea is you can set your own goals for how much meat you're eating in a week, um, and it'll tell you whether you are succeeding or failing at that. So if you you do want to just go to zero meat, you can do that. Um, But this will also help you if you want to be flexitarian and eat, say, meat four times a week. So I would recommend checking that out. Yeah, and I think you might be surprised at how often you eat meat because sometimes you don't even think about it. A pepperoni stick here or there, you know what I mean, really adds up. Yes, exactly. And so if you want sort of an easy way to visualize that, Less is a really good app that you can try. Cool. So yeah, we'll check out that We'll check out that Less. And uh, if anybody wants to at us, don't. But <laughs> if you insist, <laughs> you can get us at, uh, uh, at uh, Kristen's... Twitter handle, which she'll tell you right now. It's at Kristen Pugh. The last name is P-U-E. And you can get us at Pullback Podcast. And if you want to at me directly on Twitter, I mean, I'm never on Twitter. I'm so bad. I I don't even know my own Twitter handle sometimes, which is what I'm checking right now. (laughs) Is it not? Is it Kyla Tech or is that just your Instagram? That's just my Instagram. (laughs) Don't Instagram me. (laughs) Am I just accidentally doxing you? Uh, I changed my Twitter handle so that it would be easier for me to say, and it's just at Kyla Hewson. So you can you can you can you can dox me there, uh, or yeah, you can get us on Instagram <laughs> at Pullback Podcast. We'll put up some nice pictures. You don't have to worry about factory farming pictures on our Insta. We want that to be yeah. a safe space. <laughs> we will not be like Peta. Uh, <laughs> I do retweet Peta sometimes though, so just if you're thinking about following me, keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. This week was a was a tough one, but I think I certainly learned a lot and I hope everyone else did too. Yeah. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye. Don't worry. I can I can edit this bit. I can't edit the rest of it, but I can edit hey. this. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure the bit you want edited gets edited. <laughs>